This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Are you going to start the show or should I? No, I'll do it. Welcome <laughs> back to myself then. Hey, I'll do it, to, I'll do it for myself. How about, how's about that, eh, Tash? Good morning to you. Of course, it is uh, Wednesday, is it? The 22nd, 27th rather, of February 2019. The last time I was in South Africa was the 22nd <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of February. That's probably why that happened. Uh, but uh, indeed, welcome to it. Of course, we're going to get the show started. A lot happening today on our show. Quite interesting, I must say. We're going to be joined by quite a few people, aren't we, Tash? Yes. So the funny thing, you, before we even get to the people that, we, that are going to be joining us, mm. you have not mentioned to the listeners that you got yourself a new Man United jersey. Look, That's fascinating. Look, this is kind of what happens when you end up going to Manchester United's game and you see the mega store and then you get inside and then you want to buy everything in the store. So I almost bought the whole store. But sadly, my South African rands don't go that far. Remember right. that every time you buy something, the first thing you think of is multiply that by 18. Sure, that's a lot of money. Mm. Mm, so a bit of a struggle. All right. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, we do have some very interesting uh, people coming. I don't know what to call that particular segment of the show. What do you want to call it? Let's call it the golden half hour. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yes, we'll call it the golden half hour. <laughs> uh, we're going to have uh, Chris Gilmore, who is with us, and he's going to be part of... Um that particular half hour. We've got Wayne McCurry, F&B Wealth and Investment, David Shapiro from Sasfin, and Ian Crookshanks from the Institute of Race Relations. Yep. That's, that's going to be a fun half hour. That's why we called it the golden half hour. But we say no more. Nonetheless, we're also going to be taking a look at Time Bank's official launch. Uh, you'll remember not so long ago, we tried to uh, open up a Time Bank bank account. They said you could do it in under five minutes. I think we did it in three minutes yes. and 20 odd seconds, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. 27 seconds. Exactly. Oh, look at that. To be precise. Yes. Three minutes and 27 seconds. But they officially launched it yesterday and they're aiming for quite a few customers uh, in the first year. And we'll talk about that as well with the CEO, Sandile Shabalala, at around 20 past seven. And of course, the PIC was in the headlines yesterday. That's because uh, they've asked their lawyers for advice on how to respond to a compliance notice received from the Companies and Intellectual Property Commission in which uh, it is instructed to recover 4.3 billion rand it invested in AO technology solutions. So uh, we'll get uh, Dr. Irajabedian's take on what's happening with regards to the AO PIC investment. Yeah, all that. And a whole lot more coming up in the next hour. Let's get into it. This is your Wednesday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. It's uh, six minutes after seven. Quick check-in on the market. Stocks in Asia rose this morning following uh, comments from of Chairman Jerome Powell and ahead of a meeting between U.S. President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in Vietnam. The mainland Chinese markets uh, gained an early trade with the Shanghai Composite advancing more than 0.6% and the Shenzhen component adding uh, 0.2%. Over in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rose by half a percent. The Nikkei up uh, four tenths of a percent in morning trade. Yesterday, the Dow Jones and the S&P 500 gained 25 points and uh, 0.1% respectively. The S&P 500's tech sector was the best performer, rising 0.3% and uh, was on pace to post a 12-day winning streak and the Nasdaq Composite traded slightly higher. In Europe, the FTSE was off uh, 0.3%, German DAX 0.2% and the French CAC was flat. Over here, the JC closed about 56,000 points for the first time in five months with only the property stocks and Gold miners under pressure. The all share up six tenths of a percent, fifty six thousand two hundred and forty two points, and the top forty rising six tenths of a percent. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb, Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic One O Two Seven. Chris Gilmore, independent analyst, joining us in studio. Of course, above fifty six thousand for the first time since October last year. Finally. That Christmas rally has come. 
Yeah, and look, we're still behind the 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 Dow. Sorry, the, the S and P five hundred, which yep. uh, is flirting with that two thousand eight hundred level in the states. But um, you know, at least this market here is out of correction territory. You know, uh, over the end of last week, came, came in below ten uh, percent. And as you rightly say, look, it's it's going up slowly but surely. And there's a few things I suppose that are are responsible for this. The mining stocks keep on uh, doing doing quite well. And, you know, we had a slew of them last week. We had Anglo Platts and Kumba and one or two others. Um, and, and they're doing quite nicely. Um, but uh, I think the main thing, obviously, is, is Naspers. That, you know, with such a huge weighting in the, in the index, that's making a big, uh, a big difference. So, uh, yeah, look, long may it continue. But I, I think it, it, it may be limited based on, you know, how far Naspers can go. Okay? Uh, and secondly... Um, unless the RAND really takes a beating, I think the mining stock uh, company performance is probably going to be a wee bit limited as well. But look, 58, maybe 60,000 is not uh, beyond the bounds of possibility. Mm, look, very quickly on some news about Nasperts that came out late yesterday as well. Uh, Gaijin Liu has stepped down from that board as well. Uh, I mean, he had reached the age of 73 as well. Uh, he had stepped down officially from the board, effective. 25 February. Of course, yes, years of experience, uh, but uh, certainly uh, an old head uh, deciding to to step down from the company. You're right. How far does does Nasperus really go? In a time when uh, you know Asia seems to be in some sort of positive mood, however, if they do sort out the trade battle, does that bode well for them, or is that perhaps not such a big factor for for the likes of Nasperus, ten cent, and the like? Oh no! Look, I think it bodes well for China. Maybe not so 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 well for for other emerging markets. I mean, if you go back a few months ago, when uh, China, for example, started um, applying uh, trade tariffs and sanctions and the like against uh, the U.S., they started going for some of the commodity items from Brazil. Mm. So, if they start going back to those uh, those items that uh, they formerly got from the U.S., then Brazil and maybe some and maybe a few other emerging economies might start taking some strain again. So that, that, that's a possibility. There's, a, there's some very strange dynamics out there that get uh, affected when you have uh, a resumption or a, a termination of these uh, of these trade tariffs. Mm. Okay, quite an interesting one there. On the local front, you, you did mention that we had a, a slew of, of results coming out. There's still another slew of results said to come out as well as we continue to watch out uh, this market. Interestingly enough, I wanted to talk about ShopRite. Crystal Visa looks to be uh, or looks set to perhaps loosen his grip uh, on that Shoprite story as well. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, look, he's still got uh, what forty four percent of thereabouts mm. of the company uh, through this rather Byzantine type of um, uh, control structure. Yeah, but yeah, look, um, yeah, I, did, I, I saw that. And I was really quite quite bemused by it, and. Um, you know, uh, at this point in time, and maybe he's got a few other things attracting his attention, you know, notably Steinhoff, for example. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting. Look, uh, in, in, in that results presentation, um, the, uh, Peter Engelbrecht, the, the CEO, mm. wouldn't be drawn on the, the state of the South African economy. He was asked that quite a few times. And he cautiously avoided making any comments about it at all. And I find that quite interesting. You know, and I think look, there's a, a, a variety of interpretations you can put on it. Um, maybe he's trying to say that, uh, look, regardless of what the economy is doing, we can still do an awful lot better. But he's got real problems. I mean, in Angola particularly, I mean, outside of the South African economy, yeah, yeah. that is, uh, it's, it's got, it's, it's, it's a perfect storm. Uh, but within the South African economy, you know, um, um, I've been of the view, and I've, I've made no secret about it, I think the, the consumer economy is an awful lot worse than the, the, the official stats would have us believe. And, and so perhaps maybe he's he's just being very sort of conservative about uh, what's actually happening out there. Yeah, and, and I suppose then, you know, yes, you have Christoph Visa perhaps uh, stepping away in some sort of way. You want to shed away completely from the, the old guard and the likes of Whitey Besson. Yes, Peter Engelbrecht is technically still part of that old guard, but does this signal some sort of massive shift? Yes, they've recorded... Possibly their worst set of earnings in, in, you know, the time that ShopRite has really been in existence, really. Um, 
But is this now a complete sort of turn for them? Is it 180 and they're going in a totally different direction? No, look, I don't think they're going in a, complete, one, in a completely different direction. Uh, bear in mind that their focus is still on the, the, the lower end of, of the economy. Mm. Uh, so, you know, to change that focus, I think, would, would, would be very, very uh, unreal. Um, and their focus has also been on the rest of Africa. And, you know, as Whitey mentioned, Whitey Basson, as he said many years ago, Africa is not for sissies. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can see it's been extremely tough uh, in, in the rest of Africa. I think, you know, they're going to carry on with their tried and tested formula. Um, they, they've, they've attracted uh, major problems uh, in, in the past year, notably um, uh, rob armed robberies and, and, and things like that. So it's been very, very tough. And, he, and, and Peter Engelbrecht has had, it's a shame, he's had a baptism of fire. Oh, yeah. um, I think it, it, they must be getting pretty close to a turn, but obviously much will depend on the state of the economy and the state of the, um, uh, the lower-end consumers. Mm. Let's talk about your editorial a little bit as well. You talk about the fast food operators. This is perhaps the second week that you've spoken about uh, that space. Last week, you sort of had a play on that taste, taste holdings as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> Leaves a sour taste in the mouth there. Yeah. This time around, fast food operators, not quite the flavor of the year as well. We've seen quite a few. There was a time not so long ago where we had a burst into the market of all these American brands as well coming to South Africa. All of them seemingly falling by the wayside now. I mean, you know, you don't have to look very far. Just look at the likes uh, of, uh, um, you know, the Great Burger Company coming to South Africa and, and, and still a bit of a struggle for them. You have the likes of Wakaberry coming to South Africa, a bit of a struggle there. And, and I must say that I, I think even Burger King is struggling a little bit here as well. Let's talk about that sector. How difficult has it been and why? Is it just the fall of SA's economy or the struggle of SA's economy? Two things. It's predominantly the, the fall in the, in, in the economy. I mean, and it is reflecting incredibly tough times. As I, I, like I said to you, Arabili, you know, I, I've been in this market many, many years, and I've never seen anything quite like this across the board, across mm. the spectrum. You know, formerly defensive stocks. And that, th this area would... would, would Yep. Previously, have fallen fairly and squarely into that category. No, no longer. But secondly, many of these companies have gone on ill-considered um, spending sprees into areas that they knew nothing about. And famous brands, for example, uh, they went and bought the um, uh, Gourmet Burger Kitchen yeah. from from the Nando's company, mm. basically in the UK, and it's turned into be an absolute disaster for them. So um, ill-considered acquisitions and the poor uh, economy. Look, I think famous brands will, 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 will turn around. I think they've learned their lesson. They've paid their cheddar. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out there. Look, you mentioned Burger King. Um, I think you've got to give it to them. They've really persevered with this one. They're, yeah. they're pretty much at a break even, making a, a slight operating profit at this kind of level. But they still have to put in a lot more stores to make it really properly viable. Mm -hmm. And I think they will. But I think that will take a turnaround in the economy before they can get up to the kind of 150 uh, store level. They're currently at about 80. Yeah. Going to be difficult times for them. And clearly, South Africa's economy continuing to struggle as well. Find out what that growth figure is very soon. It will also be quite interesting on SA's economy. But let's move on uh, as we touch on now just that PIC story from yesterday. Shoo, a lot going on. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. It's 15 minutes after 7. The PIC says it's a... Uh appointed Gwena attorneys to assist in it recovering 4.3 billion rand in capital that it invested in AO technology. The state asset manager confirmed yesterday that uh, it was issued a compliance notice on February 21st, which uh, requires it to recover the investment that it made within 15 business days of uh, the date of notice. And to share his thoughts on uh, the matter, we're joined on the line by Dr. Iraj Abedian, who's an economist at pan African Investment and Research Services. Dr. Abedian, thank you so much for your time. What do you make out of this news, this compliance notice from the CIPC? Good morning to you and listeners, and thanks for having me. Uh, I have a significant development insofar as it's the first um, important and public pronouncement about discovery of or recovery of uh, what we have discovered to have been wrong. Uh, 4.3 billion of pensioners' money is, or anybody's money is a huge sum of, of, of money and the investment decisions behind it need to be absolutely uh, clear 
and in line with the investment protocols of any organizations. And if the PIC and those involved have um, cut corners done on ethical things, therefore the money should be um, should be dis- uh, recovered. Um, and that, of course, is a, a big number. But rest assured that there are hundreds of smaller but collectively uh, significant amount of money that have also gone through similar processes and if the PC manages to recover this money then the precedence will be set for uh, collecting a great deal more. We have the PIC inquiry that is still underway. What do you make thus far of the revelations that have come out of that? Look, it's quite clear that uh, the PRC at point in its uh, life, recent life over the past few years, went off track completely. Um, by that I mean uh, those in charge, uh, both as the head, the head of risk, the head of investment decision, internal audit, the entire process of um, the governance of investment decision making were violated. And therefore, uh, a number of decisions were made, the biggest one being um, this uh, AO 4.3 billion, uh, but there may be bigger ones that we don't know. Maybe there are individuals who um, who are uh, so connected that they have covered the case. We just don't know. But when an organization's governance structures go off the rail, rest assured, a lot of poor decisions and inappropriate investments are made at the expense of the pensioners. I've been wondering, I mean, a lot of the lawyers uh, expressed surprise that the CIPC ventured so far as to make a judgment call on an investment decision by an individual uh, company, and particularly with the uh, PIC being an asset manager. Is it then uh, presumptuous to assume that perhaps one day we could look at all the other asset managers uh, outside of the PIC to see what kind of investments and decisions they've made that have may have, uh, you know, put their clients in, in a bad position? Absolutely. I mean, the PRC is no different from uh, Alan Gray or from uh, Investec Asset Management or from any other investment. Asset management is asset management. Um, the only difference with the PRC and others is that the PRC as an entity, as an asset manager, is owned by the government. That's all. Um, but the principle of company's governance, the principles of the fiduciary responsibilities of taking care of the investor's money is exactly the same. Therefore, if the PIC's processes have gone off the rail, another asset managers can go off the rail. And we have seen in the recent past a number of massive failures, starting off being, being the, most, the most important one uh, from a numbers point of view. 190 billion wiped out and still counting. So, uh, and we're waiting for the report to see what did go wrong there. And so, yes, absolutely, the significance of this is not just for the TRC. I and mean, if the CRPC can find a way of calling into account the asset managers, um, everybody will benefit. Dr. Abedian, thank you so much for your time this morning. That is Dr. Iraj Abedian, who's an economist at the Pan-African Investment and Research Services. Time to have a look at traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. 722, we joined uh, on the line by the CEO of Time Bank, Sandile Shabalala. And of course, yesterday, officially launching themselves into South Africa's banking sector. It's been a, quite an interesting one. You'll remember not so long ago, we indeed did do a timing on uh, Time Bank's uh, uh, um, opening of bank accounts and how long that took. Tash did it while I uh, spoke to the CEO at the time. It took around three minutes and 27 seconds, you said. So, yeah, so quite an interesting one uh, there. So let's chat to the CEO now. So uh, some ambitious tasks. You're eyeing the 21 million clients in South Africa who aren't banked. And you say that by 2022, you could break even if you attract just 2.1 million transactional banking customers and lend to at least 6% of that base. How attainable is Mr. Shabalad? Uh, good morning. Yeah, um, 
we, we believe that is uh, that is quite possible. Um, you know, if, for us to be sitting um, as we speak today at eighty thousand customer customers, even before we launched the bank, it really is a testament that people are, are, are sort of really liking the proposition that we have out there in, um, in the market. You would easily understand um, that uh, right now we only have a transactional sort of banking offering, yeah. as well as a saving a savings uh, offering that uh, that is linked to the transactional banking. So they, there's quite a lot of uh, interest uh, um, uh, from the South African public uh, on the proposition. So we're quite uh, hopeful that uh, these numbers are, are, are possible. Yeah, at some point, though, it is going to slow down in terms of how quickly people get on board. How do you deal with that part uh, within within the metrics and within the mix? Because, yes, you've currently got uh, onboarding kiosks, right, at the likes of pick and pay and boxes stores. But in order to get scale, you're going to have to go into a whole lot more, aren't you? Absolutely. Um, so, um, as I said, uh, we just sort of launched with our first product right now. Um, we will be getting into lending a little bit later on. Um, I think we're starting the pilot in the second half of the year. So possibly we'll get into full lending uh, by, by early next year. Um, uh, we still have uh, other propositions that we want to bring to the market. I think yesterday we spoke also about uh, getting into the SME uh, market as well. So there's quite a lot that we still have to do uh, to attract even more customers uh, to come and bank with us. I want to talk about that SME segment in a moment, but first let's start off with that uh, unbanked uh, um, sort of customer we've just spoken about, of course, getting into more areas outside of just the pick and pay and boxer stores. Uh, the simplicity of banking and the issue for some of those unbanked people is that they fear that their money just keeps going away when they do banking. How do you differentiate that? How do you tell that message? How do you come across to those sort of people and say to them, you know, the reason you need this bank is for the safekeeping or, you know, for their reasons, in order to grow their money, in order to become part of South Africa's formal economy? How do you translate that message effectively to rural South Africa, which is also a part of the people you're trying to, to aim at? Well, um, if you look in terms of our, of our proposition, I think this is the key differentiator as well, is that the biggest focus of our proposition is around financial education. So every product that we have out there in the market will have some element of trying to educate uh, the consumer there in terms of how they become responsible in terms of managing their finances. Just taking it firstly um, um, what we've launched with, uh, there is a transactional banking account, which is the most affordable banking account in the country right now. 50% cheaper than the current um, uh, lowest uh, 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 price incumbent. So, um, and again, with a very simple pricing structure, which is two rent, four rent, and eight rent, the maximum that you can pay for is eight rent. That's if you want to withdraw money from the ATM, which we will obviously discourage our customers from doing that. Um, we would want them to actually go and withdraw their money from pick and pay and so where they, they can get their money for free. Um, and this is the thing that these are the things that we're going to focus on. Obviously, watching the customer behavior and communicating with them immediately after we see them sort of doing things that are not in their best interest and try and nudge them to do things that are responsible. Uh, for them to be able to manage their money uh, in a disciplined way. So that's what we're going to be focusing on. Yeah. Uh, look, you have a hard task of fighting off the likes of FNB for that SME space. How do you think you can do it better? Well, if you think about the SME uh, segment, um, you, you probably would have uh, some idea that I come from that environment. Uh, um, you know, So this is the segment that I have the most passion for because I do believe that it is really the backbone for every grow- for every growing economy. Uh, my sense is that um, um, there is a lot that still needs to be done in the SME segment. The fact that we've chosen this SME segment and the consumer segment, we believe that these are the segments in this country that are extremely underserved. Um, that SMEs are not very well understood. Um, we haven't designed products and solutions that actually solve some of their problems. We are continually uh, sort of ask them for things that they can't produce. Um, and we need to be figuring out in terms of how do we facilitate um, a proposition that understand uh, basically where the SMEs are, encourage them to grow, and, and create connection points within the value chain that helps those SMEs to grow without necessarily putting um, um, sort of without putting 
you know, any burdens in terms of their growth path. And these are the things that we're going to be focusing on, just to make sure that, um, you know, we speak the language of the SME, we, we connect the value chain, and we allow them to grow within that environment. How soon do you plan on, uh, on attacking that space, if I can call it that? So, um, so this is the, the last part of um, um, uh, 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 the proposition that we will be bringing into the market. Um, so we're going to be starting uh, late this year with a very simple of, uh, offering in terms of uh, uh, SMEs, which will really just deal initially with just uh, uh, soil crops. But we aim to actually then um, um, uh, next year to bring more uh, uh, solutions to, the, to that environment. We've, we've got some really exciting stuff that we're working on uh, on the SME, some stuff that hasn't been seen in this market um, in terms of just bringing product solutions to the SME in, in a way that is very differentiating. So, you know, I can't give you more about that, but as we've done with the consumer segment, we really aim also to disrupt, to disrupt how SMEs are serviced in this country as, uh, when we launch that proposition fully. Yeah, you're also planning to offer credit cards and unsecured term loans as well in the near future. Uh, does that not disrupt the business in some way? Because that, that may in itself bring about the bad books, the bad debt. It is a segment of the market that is considered to be perhaps at a higher risk uh, of defaulting. How do you plan on mitigating that sort of issue within that segment of your market? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right, Rabin. I think this is the one thing that we are very sort of conscious of um, to make sure that uh, when we get into that segment, we uh, do lending in a very responsible way. I spoke earlier on about, um, you know, the the challenge that we've set for ourselves in terms of customer education and making sure that customers are educated um, deeply about these products and um, and they consume these products in a very responsible way. So you will find that as we get into those um, into that segment and and that product offering, that there's going to be a lot more emphasis that we're going to be bringing to the market around how people should actually be consuming these products. I think there's been a lot of um, issues around how. Uh, personal loans have been um, handled in this country. And we want to change that. Uh, we want to sort of create a whole lot of transparency around how people consume these products and make sure that people are not uh, sort of put in worse of positions than they, than they need to be as they consume these products. So there's a lot more that we're going to be bringing there as well in terms of um, uh, disrupting yeah. that market and making sure that uh, you know, consumers are educated yeah. Um, and um, and they lend um, the best ways of uh, managing their finances yeah. uh, using that product. Mr. Shabalala, all the best to you. Really hope to continue to look out for the story and all the best of luck for uh, any sort of success as well as you continue this part of your business. That's Sandile Shabalala, the CEO of Time Bank, has of course launched officially into South Africa's banking sector. 731 your news headlines. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All right, it's uh, 7.33. The golden half hour has started as uh, Arabile uh, has described it. But here's the funny thing, right? So I love my producer. Uh, this particular segment has been called, uh, according to our particular running order, Markets and Economy with the Veterans. Now, veterans conjures this image of guys in the trenches battling market turmoil and all kinds of things. So Perhaps it's, it's felt that way, though. <laughs> Has it not felt that way, considering how many years you guys have been in it, uh, David? Yeah, I joined, when I joined the market in 1972. Oh, uh, a youngster. No, I am a youngster. Compared with you, yes, I am quite young. But at that stage, there was no direct dialing to the U.S. If you wanted to book a phone call, sorry, to the U.K., to London, you had to go through the operator and say, I'd like to call Mr. Crookshanks at uh, wherever he was at Langen Crookshank. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, she would say, okay, and you know, half an hour later or something, the phone would ring and hear Mr. Crookshank on the line. And not only that, uh, we used to also communicate through coded telegrams. You know, in other words, with counterparts, telex and coded telegrams. If you never had a telex operator, and there was a, I've still got the book in my office just down the road here. Of, of So that's when I joined. And today we have uh, cell phones. You're looking at your cell phone now as we talk, you know, just checking your emails. So 
completely different world. Yeah. That's the transition that we've done. I think that's sort of the best way to yeah. hide any secrets right now if you wanted to. Just go back the old school way. But <laughs> I think we should tell everybody who's here. So yeah, we've yeah, got Ian Crookshanks, we've got David Shapiro, Hi. we've got Wayne McCurry who is on the line, and we have uh, Chris Gilmore. So how this, <laughs> how this golden hour started was David actually triggered it for us. Uh, he tweeted on January 2nd that um, he today marked, well, at that particular day, marked his 50th anniversary, his work life, basically. My work, yeah. Right. I did three years of articles, so 47 years of that on the stock market. Sure. Mm. And following then were comments uh, from Chris Gilmore, from Wayne mm. McCurry. And I don't know how true, Wayne, uh, this is, and perhaps you might want to clarify. You commented on uh, David Shapiro's tweet that, on January 1st, 1969, when uh, David was starting his articles at Schwartz, Fine, uh, Kane and Company, you were in standard four in the old <laughs> system. Is that true? That is true. So when you say true veterans, maybe, maybe I'm not quite as much of a veteran as Mr. Shapiro is. May, yes, I, make yeah. a, sorry, may I make a comment on what Wayne has just yes, said? Yes, you can. I can remember David's father proudly after he was a qualified accountant, bringing him down onto the floor so that he could see what real work was all about. <laughs> it was very interesting. I, I've got stories about that. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Chris, you're sitting here in awe of all of this. Were, were you even younger than all of this scenario? I, I, look, I mean, I, I, funnily enough, I was actually in South Africa in 1969 as a kid, and I was staying in Durban with, with, with relatives. Um, so, yeah, look... Um, I, I wasn't aware at the time of the 1969 crash, mm. but I suppose yes. Ian Cruikshanks probably was. Uh, I mean, that was a hysterical uh, private client-fueled uh, bull market. And you but know what happened to share prices? Liberty yeah. Life, one of the most outstanding companies ever in the financial sector, went from 33 rand to 3 rand. Never missed paying a dividend, always made a profit, but that is what the markets did. I miss those markets. I wish we could have a few of them again. We Ooh. haven't really had a proper bull market since I don't know when. And and people talk about this bull market, Chris, now. As, you know, this, is a, this is not a bull market. This is just a doddle. This is just a doddle <laughs> in the park. <laughs> when McCurry as well, your thoughts? I mean, has this, I mean we've called it the, uh, you know, the, sort of the longest sort of bull run. It's been around 10 years or so. It's the longest one, I think, since around uh, you know, the times that the gentlemen are speaking about. How, what have you made of it? Has it actually given you, uh, you know, cognizance of the past, really? Or is it, as, as David says, just a, a smidget? Now, look, I mean, certainly our market hasn't been in a bull market. We've consolidated it for five years. Overseas, has been a very strong bull market. But, you know, everything works in cycles in investments. You know, it's about every eight to 12 years, you go through a cycle, bull market, bear market, inflation up, inflation down, interest rates up, interest rates down. But it's interesting, and uh, Mr. Shapiro, they're chatting about the 69 crash. Now, as I said, I was, I was a youngster then, but I actually mm. remember it quite clearly because um, I come from Kimberley, and my dad, my, my father, had rich cousins who lived in Caller Drive in Johannesburg. Mm. And once, just at the beginning of 1969, we went to go and visit the rich cousins in Caller Drive, and we went into their house, and I'd never seen anything like this in my life before. They had a sunken lounge. You sure. cannot believe it. They had a sunken lounge where you went into the lounge, then you went down two or three steps into where the actual couches and lounge suite was. And he was the rich cousin, and my, my father was in awe of his wealth. And it turned out he was just a speculator on the 69 stock market, and when it crashed, he got completely and utterly cleaned out. So I do have some recollections about the 69 crash. And especially one of the big companies that crashed there was a thing called Fallen Drive Estate. And I'm yes. sure David will remember mm. that. Mm. I think that their sign was still on the still on the in Call It Drive. I think the building and only now has kind of been taken down or being renovated, but they always had Call It Drive Estates. It's it's close to where we we're talking from at the moment. But Wayne, do you remember Glen Annell? Yes. Now I I, I, yeah. I joined in seventy two, and one of my tasks was to clean up the mess. So it was early seventy two, first uh, uh, of February, and one of the tasks, being an accountant, uh, was to clean up the mess. That was left there. Remember, this was semi-computers. We did have computers, but they were more processing machines. But Glen Annell, when Glen Annell listed, because this was driven by property. 
This was a property boom, and Ian will remember it. But in 1969, when I think when Glen Annell listed, we had a dealer, Colin Rue, who mm. sat on a table. He brought a table onto the floor. Robber Rue. <laughs> Robber Rue. <Yeah. laughs> he, he sat with a table, and people lined up to deal with him, and he was buying and selling Glen Annell, like instead of standing on the floor, just sitting there on his bum, on a, on a chair there, just uh, writing tickets. You know, that's, that's how hectic it was. But when I say I miss those days because, sure. uh, you know, now we sit in front of a computer that's totally impassive. <laughs> yeah, and you get back aches from it all. Very quickly, before we head off to traffic, I wanted to ask Wayne, because sadly we won't have him after this traffic spot. Uh, but Wayne, any life lessons sort of learned, I suppose, from then that you can bring to now and just perhaps, you know, some, some sort of advice, if I can call it that, about today's market uh, that, uh, you know, we can learn from, from things, uh, you know, in the past? Well, as far as in investments, you're continually learning from what uh, you've had in the past. And by and large, the, the future is quite frankly not that different from the past. But I think even investors can understand that there are cycles, as I mentioned earlier, on in, in, in the whole process of economic interaction and market interaction, etc. But maybe two other bits of advice that I've learned over the years. The first one is you have to have a diversified portfolio. You don't know the future. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. And the second thing is, you know, in, in investments, as we talk, and we talk the whole time about this, we always try and find the next winner, what's going to be the next hot thing. And that's actually not investments. Investments is truly about trying to avoid a disaster in your portfolio. So maybe I can finish off on those two items, because unfortunately I'm in Port Elizabeth now, yep. and I'm going to catch a plane back to Johannesburg. All right, well, all the best. <laughs> Travel safe indeed, and thank you so much for your time this morning, Wayne. Really, really appreciate it. Wayne McCurry from F&B Wealth and Investments. We'll continue with uh, David, Chris, and Ian just after this traffic break. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. 7.44, um, we're back with, uh, what is it, the golden half-hour half hour. segment, yeah. as we've called it. And we've learned a very interesting uh, tidbit. So David started off by giving us, uh, I suppose, a bit of a background as to how he got involved yeah. in the markets. And the only two people we didn't get it from was necessarily uh, Ian and Chris. And Ian told us, what, 1956 you finished matric? Yes. And what happened? And I'm still involved <laughs> with the markets. Clearly, I don't learn lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you started back in 1963. If, 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 no, is, that's that, right. That's when I started in the market. Okay. So you've done 56 years in South Africa's markets this year. This will be 56 years. Yes. You can count an extra three years when I was an internal auditor in the financial sector as such. <laughs> 59 years. <laughs> yes. And still hungry for, for, for what's there every morning. I know, my, I know somebody's going to kill me for this, but... <laughs> Do you know how old my mother is? <laughs> <laughs> I have no illusions about being your mother. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. And Chris Gilmore, if I'm not mistaken, 37 years, you said. Yeah, 82. I, I came from Scotland. I was in a place called Scottish Newcastle Breweries. And I always fancied getting to the markets. So I had a choice of going into London, which uh, I, I don't really like London very much, and, or going overseas. So I came up and I saw a guy called, you remember Eric Levine? Of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, he was uh, a twin. Yeah. That's right. Mm. And his brother Roy. Mm. That's right. So he was the head of research there. And I came and uh, he said, listen, um, what do you know about the beers? I said, uh, not very much. He said, well, go and write a report on it and come back. and uh, <laughs> Let's see how your writing skills yeah. are. So I did that. And uh, he said, you can use the library and stuff like that. And it was good. And um, so I joined Max Pollock and Fremantle. Mm. And David was there at the mm. time. Yeah. God. So, um, yeah, it's a very incestuous uh, place. So just a quick math here. That's 156 years worth of knowledge in South Africa's market. Oh, well, in the market space. Ah, yeah. Tash and myself, our ages put together, <laughs> don't even make half of that. I, I think the sad thing, Arabelli, really, 156 years and we're still poor. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're calling it? You know, like, like Ian said, the market cycles just keep going. And yes, you, you guys are suckers for punishment because you've stayed in it for so long. Clearly. But it is, it is the element of the market, right? Like even now, you know, I, I was perhaps panicking a little bit because we didn't get, for instance, our Christmas rally. Things didn't go as great. Now we're finally above 56,000 points again on the JSC All Share. But this is normal. I, yes, but it's not a normal existence. I, there is really change every day and you can come in and say i'm ready for it and it'll surprise you 
That's that's great. You, you know what, Ian? I, I want to refer Arabelli to Warren Buffett's uh, newsletter, which he just published, or his sorry, his annual letter to shareholders, mm. which he published. And you don't have to go through all of it, but if you go through the last paragraph, which is called the American Tailwind, mm. and what he does is he draws or he shows you length in the market. What happens if you just go into the market and stay there? Doesn't mean you have to stay with mm. the same shares, but you don't. You, you know, you don't go off track. And uh, um, the one thing that I've learned after my life is, uh, for, you know, my years in the market is that I'm 100% equities. You know, don't talk to me about bonds or alternatives or hedge funds <laughs> or any of that. Um, if you would have had a portfolio of decent quality shares, and you have to define decent quality shares. Yeah, it's not yeah. difficult. You don't need a high IQ to do that. You just need a little bit of common sense. If you just stay that course, um, that's where you'll make money. Where we go wrong, or what our biggest problem is, is actually managing the expectations of clients. Finding the right share is easy. It's those expectations where they go mm. up and down and people panic. But mm. I think that's that's my biggest lesson that I you know that I've learned. Don't you find that what the clients want, particularly the the, the uh, individuals, they want maximum security, maximum income. And maximum capital growth doesn't sound too hard, does it? Till you be, till you become responsible <laughs> and, and no risk as well. Yeah. But, oh yes, yeah. is that too. So sure. between myself and Arabile, we first met uh, 2012 working at CNBC Africa, <coughs> and between then and now, we've had uh, African Bank, uh, which fell apart. Yeah. We've had Steinoff and various other things. I'm sure each one of you can remember a story that probably even supersedes a, a Steinhoff or any yeah, other. Those are perhaps the biggest stories of our decade, right? Exactly. In financial journalism And someone reminded me of a story which I had to actually go and Google and find out exactly what the story was behind this person because this is way before my time. Um, it regards, let me go back to that particular article. And David, you might know about this. It started when you joined your particular oh yeah i know where you're going <laughs> Schweden. yes, yes. Schweden and poplack yeah. yeah right mm. and a guy by the name a surname is blank if i'm not mistaken oh, that's Greg another blank. one now that was that was in the 1990s yes. but when i started in 1972 november 1972 was the Schweden affair with yes. wilson mansfield and uh that was a fraud where i'm i, I it's it, you know you've put me on the spot i've got to try and get all the facts <laughs> right before i mess it up yes. but it was a major major scandal involving stolen shares uh doing f uh, favors for friends but to a large extent it was a, a broking firm that was blue blood when yes. i say blue blood these were the oppenheimer's yeah. brokers sure. and this was a firm that just took their eye off the ball and allowed the accountant uh, mr cecil Schweden, to actually play with script remember we weren't dealing with computers we were dealing mm. with physical, yeah, physical. script mm. which could be you know manipulated and and uh, i've got some some other fascinating stories but that was yeah. 1972 and that soon followed with lou witkin's uh, yes. with poplack a very Farber. similar so, yeah lou witkin farber but uh, there was a chap there by the name of poplack as well it was also a bit of a scandal there was a book written about it but um that was a huge huge scandal which involved the collapse of a major broking firm but before uh computerization and 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 depapering of of physical deliveries i can remember that there were a couple of times when the messengers who took the script from broker a to institution b and and they were all over the, the the city with these little scooter bikes um and, but what we didn't know was they'd meet in the basement of the jse <laughs> and just pass them out amongst themselves oh. now the opportunity for, for for mishandling was huge and it happened sometimes they had their own clearinghouse they had their own clearinghouse the that's basement. right they'd say oh you're going to max pollock okay take this for me and deliver it and 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 instead of them having to make 20 stops you know they kind of cut it down to 10 stops but there but are markets so just one second other uh, than equities mm. can I just make it on what you uh, have no, said you're a bond dealer here we go <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my bond traders tie from the JSC and it's bright yellow so it's a place to go sometimes <laughs> gentlemen what do you make though of you know times have obviously changed and whatever the companies you've, you've seen companies list uh, go massive perhaps then delist as well uh, go for broke 
But now you see the likes of the tech stocks coming into play. You've even seen Amazon, of course, become even one of the richest uh, companies out there. What are the similarities that you're finding in, in, in yesteryear markets to, to these in particular? Yes, fine, it may be a different sense of, of what company it is, but surely there's some similarities to things that have happened in the past year. Chris, you, we haven't given you a chance to talk. No, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm yes, it's been around long, long enough. enough. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I feel very young in comparison to all of us. <laughs> so, so the thoughts then on those tech companies, seeing this, this difference in the market, if you, if you want to call it that. So if I read you correctly, you're asking what kind of um, uh, similarities do I yeah. see back in, in, in the, maybe the 80s and 90s yeah. uh, to, to what Am the likes of Amazon are doing? I'm not sure I can think offhand of anything that uh, would... I, I, um, I, I, to, you know, these are trends. Yeah. Don't ignore the change in, in tech. You know, tech mm, yeah. today is driving the global economy. And um, while we've gone through certain booms, I mean, every boom is identified with a sector. Uh, as we were talking about, 69 was property. Uh, I'm trying to think of the next one came through in about 85, 86, 87, which was the start of IT, but also a lot of industrial companies. Yes. I'm trying to identify, but, but in foreign markets, it was the beginning of the IT boom, which mm. continued in various other forms. 2000 was the internet boom, yeah, yeah. which, I mean, was <coughs> uh, a major, major collapse. We're nowhere near those kind of valuations now. We knew that internet was going to change our lives, but we didn't know how. And that was irrational exuberance. I don't think we're there yes. now. And I'd like to go further back. Your dad was king yeah. of the gold sector and of the diamond sector. I, and, and he, but the, I mean, there was a massive boom in gold shares. What's the JSE doing? It was gold yeah. that, and De Beers. And sure. that was it. There wasn't a platinum stock. Platinum hadn't been thought of yet. No, and where? Platinum. <laughs> we had a 1922 <laughs> platinum crash. I wasn't there. But yeah, I, I'm sure. Sure. No, there was. But, but there was that. Yeah, and, you know, you know just, just what we need to identify is that that floor that we used to walk oh, onto. Yeah. In 72, they went, then we moved to Diagonal Street in 1978. Yeah. When you walked into the trading floor, the area that dominated trade was gold. There Absolutely. Were like how many? 40, more than, I don't know how many different gold yeah. mines that were listed. And on either yeah. side of the gold boards were the platinums and the coal yeah. and manganese Small. and all those stocks. Uh, on then the extreme left were the financials. Uh, which would be property and banks, etc. Then on to the right-hand side were the industrials. But the highest-paid traders were your gold traders yes. and your industrial. That gives you an idea of we were the we were the resource capital of the world. Yeah. We, if you needed to buy mining shares, you came to one place. They called it the Cape, even though it was Jamaica. That's right. <laughs> yes. They said, you know, deal in the Cape, which was actually our but, market. But the London dealers would say, no, I haven't got any more of that stock. I sold it to the Cape. Yeah. That was Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And that, that tells you how much of a far cry it is from today's market. Oh, then, yes. Right? Well, not so long ago. I mean, we're talking about in the, in the 90s, late 90s. You still had the mining houses, the Anglo-Americans, yes. Anglo-Vals, this, this type of thing. And they, they, going back to David's point, they dominated. And then they all got broken up. Mm. And, uh, I mean, you used to have some really big mining companies mm. in their own mm. right. I mean, what have you got today? Not an awful lot. It's, they don't do any business in South yeah. Africa. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. You know, gold yes. fields are gone. Uh, um, what have you got? BHP is not here yeah. anymore. Got absolutely. So you've got South 32. Glencore's got very limited exposure. Yeah. Anglo's reducing its exposure. It's got Anglo plants. And the it's Federal got, General Mining. You remember group, those? Yeah, yep, General yep. Mining, Fed Member. No, di where we lived was a city. You know, when we were in Hollard Street and that yes. whole area, you could feel the pulse of the South African economy. Today, we've got Melrose Arch. You've got JBs. You've got Tashers. They just need to list now, right? That's the only thing sort of missing. But you know, at an analyst level as well, I mean, back in those days, you had mining analysts all over the place. And as Ian says, this was the mining capital of the world. Yes. Today, how many mining analysts are there in, in Johannesburg? Yeah, I know one that I, actually I, left mining sort of in terms of being an analyst and just decided, actually, I'm going to go into banking. I, I, yeah. I, I, Chris has got a great story that I quote continually. And I hope he can recall it as of Maya Khan when somebody attacked him uh, on, okay, bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do share. Do share. Please do um, share. 
Yeah, I think this you don't was, have to use the expletives. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was it was it was a sign language. Uh, yeah, more than anything, was this the one when John Yakman asked him about? Um, okay, bizarres. Uh, oh uh, yeah, no, that was that was another one. Okay, yeah. um, uh, I've forgotten the exact details. You, you I'll must, tell you, you the details. This, and this yeah, is, comes yeah. from Chris, so I'm going to drug his memory. <laughs> where um, SA Breweries controlled OK Bazaars okay, at that yeah. stage, yes. and OK Bazaars wasn't doing that well, and Maya Khan had come, and somebody attacked Maya on OK Bazaars. Maya Khan, of course, the well-known iconic uh, former head of of SA Breweries, and he said to him. He said, look, Sonny, <laughs> uh, you go man the tools, I write the effing reports. <laughs> anyway, he got hold of this youngster and said to him, in other words, it's much easier to write a report than it is to run uh, a business. Sure. And, and it's proven true today, right? I mean, just look at the likes of ShopRite, how difficult it has been now to to sort of run the business, right? As opposed to just writing a report, which is the easy part. Look, Tash, uh, I do have some good news for you and some bad news. Um, good news okay. first. Okay, for me. Yeah, I do, for you specifically. The okay. um, standoff report is coming out soon. Woohoo! And? Yeah, yeah. and uh, the bad news is we don't know when. <laughs> but uh, there is word, PwC has said that they are going to release it very soon. So that will be... So PwC owes me Steinoff Report. They owe me the resilient thing investigation. Yeah, you've been very resilient in this market. We've been very patient, but uh, yeah. I'm happy to know that. We've got about a minute and a half. Yep. Uh, quick takeaway yeah, sort of you know again like i said to to wane anything any sort of lessons from the past that we can sort of take into the market right now as well we'll start off with chris yeah ignore spiv stocks <laughs> stick with the the fundamentals and i i go along with what wayne said you yeah. know stick with quality yeah. and and be in for the longer term you know as, as wayne said we've had five years of a going sideways going nowhere slowly yeah it, mm. it can't last forever it's going to turn sometime yeah well david hi i i've said what i've had to say i've I'm an equity man, I think. Just uh, diversify your portfolio, but stay with it. Don't don't be influenced by the noise that we mm. hear. Who cares how many times the Fed's going to raise rates or whether Trump's going to do a deal? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's Ian the bond man. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, your, your lessons? What I've learned is to look for real value. Real value does not come with price earnings ratios with three digits. Wow. Oh, look, okay. turn it into yields. You've got to have an earnings yield of 20% and a dividend yield of 10%. Mm. Then you will get real value. We have seen it in the last decade. Yeah. It doesn't happen often. And when that happens, go overboard on equities. He's just given away his age. You're never going <laughs> to get those. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, it's I'm been happy absolutely, to do that. absolutely fun. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, it's been absolutely great, Tash. Yeah. Uh, who wants to say it? Chris? Yeah, Chris will say it again. It's Goodbye. 8 o'clock.